Today, we get to talk about parables. You know what a parable is? Everybody kind of knows, I think, what a parable is. It's like a, a uh, short little story. Maybe you might think of it. Well, there are different kinds. There are, there are narrative parables, and Jesus told a lot of those. About 40 are in the, the first three Gospels, the synoptics, as we call them. And uh, uh, that you might think of them as extended metaphors. Like they're comparing something to something else. They're, they're making a point, but... They're, they're telling something that has a point, and you can tell it's connected to other ideas over here. Anybody ever heard the Three Little Pigs? Yeah. Oh, you have? Wow. No, that's kind of a, that's kind of a parable. You know, it's a, it's a story with a point, and you can see how it's connected. Jesus was brilliant in the way he told parables. And, and others have told parables in the past, but nobody, no teacher in history that we know of, seems to have told them as much as Jesus did. He would just come up with these stories and, and, and speak to the people, and, and they would be so so penetrating. Years ago, when I had given uh, a sermon or two, I think a couple of sermons I'd given that were confusing, I had been out to, to seminary and started thinking differently. I don't know how it happened exactly, but I got up and uh, it wasn't exactly connecting. I was going over people's heads and losing people. And I went for a walk with my older brother, Brad, and he said to me, Luke, why do you speak to us in parables? That's what the disciples asked Jesus, right? Uh, if I had been quicker on my feet at the time, I would have said what Jesus said to them. Because seeing, you do not see. <laughs> and hearing, you do not hear. But, you know, we think of parables sometimes as, as confusing. Or when you see them in the Gospels, they seem confusing. We're going to see that today uh, when, we, when we look at uh, this parable in Matthew 13. And, and just to tell you, basically, at least, we don't want to paint with too broad of a brush because different parables can be different. But some of the time, at least, it seems like Jesus uses the parables as tools to both conceal and to reveal. And that seems like paradoxical. What? How could this work that you've got something that's meant to both conceal and reveal? But it seems to be that Jesus told these parables in a way that if people wanted more, they could get more. But if they didn't want, they didn't want to see more, didn't want to get close to, to what was being communicated, they didn't have to. And they could sort of be uh, separated from the truth that was presented in those parables. You may say, well, why would Jesus want to conceal anything? Maybe because the same reasons why sometimes when he healed people, he would say, don't tell anybody. You know why Jesus would do that? Because if people found out too much about who he was, he might get killed. Before he was ready to be killed. Maybe for the same reason that when uh, John sent to ask him, are you the one we're, we're looking for? You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Are you the one to come or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus didn't answer directly. He said, go tell John what you're seeing and hearing. Seems like Jesus was, was sort of uh, stepping around things, not coming out directly and saying things some of the time, precisely because he didn't want, he, he knew what would happen. I mean, at one point they did try to make him king. Remember that? He had to remove himself. They were trying to make him king. They were trying to make the kingdom come through him like they, they wanted it to. And if that happened, then you're going to get the response. You're going to get the, the people rising up against it. You're going to have the whole uproar, the turmoil that would follow with all of that. And Jesus uh, chose to conceal some things. And maybe partially that he spoke in parables to conceal, to, to not come out and directly say things that would cause people to fly off the handle, but that still would open the door for those who wanted to see the truth. And reveal it to them. The other thing about parables 
is that they tend to reveal in a way that stating things directly does not do. You know, why do we tell stories anyway? Why do we tell the three little pigs? Why not just say, work hard? <laughs> Make sure you build a, a strong house that might require more labor. Because the story has a way of inviting us into it, getting our attention and making it sink, the, the truth sink down into our heart in a different way. And Jesus was absolutely brilliant in, in doing this to people. He would tell stories that would, would draw people's hearts into it and would provoke them, make them think, and make them uh, long to understand even more. You remember uh, in the Old Testament, you get a parable with the prophet Nathan after David has committed adultery and actually has uh, ordered murder by the hands of others. David's done bad things, but Nathan doesn't go to him and just point his finger in his face and say, hey, why'd you do that? He tells him this story. He tells him a story about sheep, and there's a rich man who has a lot of sheep. The poor man only has one sheep, and the rich man takes the poor man's sheep to kill it and eat it. And David, when he hears this story, he's outraged. He's like, who would do this? And that's when Nathan tells him, actually, this is a parable. It's talking about you. And when David saw it, then he was flooded with remorse, and he repented of his sins. You see how a story can do that? A story can bypass, in a way, the, the barriers we have up to receiving the truth and allow us then to, to open up and, and go to the heart of things. That's what Jesus would do with people. He would tell them these stories that would penetrate to the heart of things. That was at least one of the reasons, it seems, that he would, he would use parables. And the parable we get to today is called the parable of the soils. Parable of the sower, however you want to label it. It's the first one. And it seems to be sort of paradigmatic to help us understand other parables. It seems to be an example. In fact, if you look at Mark's account, Jesus says that uh, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to be able to understand all the other parables. So this is an important parable. We've got to get this if we want to understand what Jesus is talking about. And to understand what the parables are doing, we need to understand what Jesus is doing overall with his ministry. He's talking about the kingdom. We've mentioned that multiple times in the series. You can't read Matthew or the Gospels without talking about the kingdom. Jesus is bringing a message of the kingdom, and most of his parables, maybe not all of them, but most of his parables have something to say about the kingdom. And that's what we're going to see here in uh, Matthew chapter 13. He's talking about the word of the kingdom that he is bringing. I want to start just by reading uh, the first nine verses here. I want to spend most of our time more towards the end here, but let's just read the parable first, okay? And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on, on good soil, soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now you may say, what's, what's confusing about that? How does that conceal anything? It seems pretty straightforward. Well, it does to us, but maybe not to those who first heard it. And maybe not to those who were looking for Jesus to bring the kingdom. They understood he was a kingdom bringer. They understood he was the Messiah. 
And they had expectations about that kingdom. It was supposed to happen all at once with the mighty act of God through the king coming with military power, wiping out the Roman government that's occupying them, setting up the power of the Jewish nation over all other nations. It was supposed to happen with that kind of torrential force. And Jesus comes on the scene, and they're thinking, maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's the king. And he says, yeah, let me talk to you about the word of the kingdom. And he starts talking about farming. He starts talking about weeds and thorns and, and suffering. And, and, and you'll see further on in Matthew 13, he talks about the bad and the good are mixed together. And, and what is going on? It's, it's coming suddenly. It's, there's not this big boom. Here I am, kingdom here. And you see how that might have been confusing. It might have been concealing to those who weren't ready to enter deeply with Jesus into what he was teaching. Now, here's the question. Are you ready to enter deeply into the kingdom? Are you ready to hear? Let me ask. Okay, kids, do something with me. Grab your ears. Can you do that? Now, any adults who are childlike, grab your ears. Jesus said that the, the kingdom is for, for those who are like children. You don't have to, no pressure. You get the kingdom if you do it, all right? That's just to help you think right now, okay? Do you have ears? Do you have ears to hear? Jesus, that's what Jesus is doing. You, you can let go now. Thank you for your, your devoted participation, Silas. Yeah. <laughs> and others. See, if you have ears to hear, you are in the minority. This is not, we're going to see what Jesus is saying here. Most of the soil doesn't work. Most of the people don't have ears to hear. But he's telling us, he's inviting us to have ears, to hear, to come in and listen to the message. It might be concealed to some, but it doesn't have to be concealed to you. It doesn't have to be concealed to me. Now look at what he says here in these next verses. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That sounds mean. Doesn't it? I mean, you don't have, you don't get. And it was actually a, an economic principle that people understood. The haves have more. It's still true today, many times. You have, you have more. Jesus is talking here. He takes that economic principle and he applies it to spiritual things. Is Jesus saying that, that in a way he's spiritually stingy, that God is spiritually stingy, that God doesn't want to, to spread the goods around? He wants to give it to the people who already have it? Is that what this is about? Well, if you know Jesus, you can't believe that. This is the Jesus who said, everybody, come to me. All you who labor and are, are burdened down, come to me. But there is an idea in Scripture that some people just aren't the kind of people who can hear it. They don't have what it takes to get started, and so they don't have more. 
And it's to those who have what it takes to get started in the kingdom who can have more, who can receive more. The one who has that, the one who has ears to hear, will be given more and will have an abundance. And it won't be taken away from them. Is that you? Are you the one who has ears to hear that can receive an abundance from God? It will never be taken away from you. If that's you. Look, this, he goes on to explain further. This is why I speak to them in parables. And this is where it seems like there is a concealing idea. Notice the emphasis on, on hearing and seeing. Throughout, I put it in bold for you, and then I put the, the other term that goes along with it, understanding or perceiving, I put it in red. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. They're seeing something, but they're not really getting it, right? And hearing, they don't hear, nor do they understand. Now this is Jesus. You have to imagine this is not cartoonish. This is Jesus with real people standing around him. And real people who are, who are watching things. Remember in chapter 12, where he's doing these mighty works? And they say, hey, he's doing that by the devil? I mean, how can you forget? We just heard Brother Terry's sermon last week. I mean, this is people who are seeing, but they're not getting it. And you think, oh, if I was there, I certainly would have seen it. Do you see it now? Do you see it as an all-consuming passion now? Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah, this is from Isaiah chapter 6, is fulfilled. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, with, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. You see, the people in Isaiah's day, and Jesus sees here, it seems like that his world is an echo of Isaiah's world. In Isaiah's day, they were so wicked, when God came and said, Isaiah, you go and preach to them, it, it was still that they're not going to see, at least Many of them, most of them, they're not going to see because of their wickedness. They just don't get it. They can't see, even though they have eyes. They can't hear, even though they seem to have ears. And they can't understand it in their hearts. They just don't get it. And so they can't be healed. But listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. And hopefully you hear it as a statement to you today. But blessed are your eyes. For they see. Blessed are your ears. Because they hear. Now have you ever thought <coughs> of your eyes as blessed? Anything you ever witnessed and you thought, man... I'm so blessed. Sometimes you'll be watching a nature show. I like to watch nature shows with my girls. And somebody will be on there commenting, and it'll be like a, a lion fighting a hyena and something. It'll be like, I just can't believe I get to witness this. I'm out here watching this miracle of nature. Well, that, it is amazing to see things in nature. But that doesn't even hold a candle to seeing what Jesus brings to us in the kingdom. And he says to the people who get it, blessed are your eyes. You can actually see it. Blessed are your ears. 
you can actually hear it. And, and truly, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You know, do you know that what people saw when Jesus showed up was the fulfillment of the hopes and dreams of people throughout history? The great, maybe we should say the greatest people of history. Moses and Elijah and Elisha. The prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. No, Lamentations is not a prophet, God. Just, check, just testing you there to see. Isaiah and Jeremiah, these great people, they longed to see it and they didn't see it. We do. Do you understand that the blessing of the kingdom? You see, Aristotle didn't get this. Plato didn't get this. LeBron James doesn't get this. The Kardashians don't get this. And I, and I say that to you because sometimes we look at people like that as if they're the ones who have the good stuff. As if they're the ones who have what people should be aiming for in life. No. It's the people who can understand the kingdom. Who have it. That is what the heart and minds of the greatest people in history have been longing for. And that's what came with Jesus. And although we don't see him presently with our physical eyes, we are a part of the tradition that is passed down from those who did see him and touch him and walk with him and talk with him and has been presented to us and he lives in us. And we see it among us and we say, this is the kingdom, this is life. And our eyes are blessed. And too many Christians are wandering around saying things like, well, I hope I can do better. I'm going to try harder, and I'd like to get to heaven one day if I can. But where we ought to be starting with, is with blessed are your eyes. You start with the blessing of the kingdom always. Without that blessing, we end up in moralism. We end up with, well, I'm just going to try to do it myself and, and get there if I can. I'm going to try to do all the right things. But we, we leave out the kingdom blessing. It all starts with this blessing that has been handed down through the ages. It is Christ. It is his kingdom. It is his power at work among us. And you are the blessed people today. If you can hear and receive the parables. Okay. So now we get to the last part here. The explanation of the parable. That he explains to his disciples. And what we're going to see here is these four soils that have been mentioned are four types of people. And I want you to know today that you are one of them. You're one of these soils. Find yourself in this story, okay? Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, first of all, they don't understand it. That's the first category. This is the, this is the word that's sown along the path. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is not as if to say, uh, man, I just didn't get it. I, I wanted to get it. It was just so confusing. It was, like, it was like advanced math. It was a little over my head. I couldn't quite follow it. 
man, it's gone. No, it's not that. This is like uh, people whose life is arranged in such a way that they cannot see something good when it comes. They're blind to it. Their patterns of thought, their patterns of behavior, the values that they carry deeply have them living such a way that when the real thing shows up, the fulfillment of what would be a, a healthy human being's hopes and dreams, they don't even get it. They just can't see it. That's category number one. Here's category number two. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Wow, this sounds great. Yet this person has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. This is the person who likes the blessing of the kingdom, just doesn't understand anything about the demands of the kingdom. This is the person who, who says, yeah, I want that. That sounds fun. That sounds exciting. But when you actually come into counter with challenges and difficulties, they say, no, that is uh, not what I signed up for. A uh, brilliant Christian thinker back, I believe, in the 19th century named Soren Kierkegaard, he has this uh, little uh, write-up about Followers and admirers. And he, he says that Jesus has many admirers, but he doesn't have that many followers. And what he does is brilliant. He looks back at, at uh, a couple of characters. One of them is Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus in the Gospels? He was a ruler of, of the Jews, teacher of the law. And he came to Jesus by night. He wouldn't come to him in the day. Now, we don't know how Nicodemus' story ends, and I hope that it ended with him becoming an all-out follower. But what, what Kierkegaard says about Nicodemus is Nicodemus was an admirer. Yeah, he liked what Jesus was saying. It was so good, but he wasn't really willing to put himself out there on it, where it might have cost him something. So he comes by night. And what, what Kierkegaard says, in, but imagine now our world in which it's no longer a threat to anyone to be a Christian, in which it no longer costs you anything to be a Christian, where you can go to church every week and everybody thinks that's great. In fact, you maybe seem more abnormal if you don't go. He said, imagine that world then and think of people who are so acclimated to just being a part of things as, as they are. And imagine what would happen then if it changed. And how many people then would be exposed as just like Nicodemus who wouldn't come into the open and say, I'm with Jesus no matter what. I'm all in with him. You see, you see what he was saying? He, he, he was saying that when, when persecution is present, it exposes what's real a lot of times. It exposes whether we have any root in us. And Nicodemus admired Jesus, but not enough to lose anything for Jesus. Not at that point in his life. He admired Jesus, but he was going to go to him and try to, try to hear from him when nobody else could see him doing it because that would cost him something. That's the, that's the seed that's sown on the rocky ground. He, the person hears, maybe wants to toy with it, wants to uh, receive it in a way, but there's no deep root. And if there's uh, 
persecution, that person falls away. Look at the third soil here. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, these are people who start with a genuine desire to follow Christ. They hear it. They, they have a deeper root. They start to grow up. But you know what happens? Life happens. And bills need to be paid. Kids need to be raised. We need to advance in our careers. We need to hang out with friends. We need to do all the things that everybody else is doing that seems to be uh, making life go for them. It's the cares of this life. And slowly but surely, they're just circling around us. We're growing up, but then they're, they're just shutting us down. And we're not bearing fruit. And then, then that goes right along with the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus, just the turn of phrase is, is so, so brilliant, the deceitfulness. We hear that and we think, boy, I'm glad I wasn't deceived by riches. Aren't you glad you weren't deceived by riches? What's striking to me is that Jesus is saying stuff like this, and he says it repeatedly to people, many of them, we would, we would think that they are dirt poor. And he keeps warning them about riches. What would he say to the American church today? Riches are so deceitful. That means that they lie to us in some way, right? They say to us, well, you need this to be happy. You need this to be secure. And you need to, in a way, bow down to this in order to make your life go okay. And as the church, we have to resolutely stand against that kind of thing. And we have to be clear. We have to say it out loud in our churches repeatedly and in our small groups. We have to say we're not going to be sucked into that kind of thinking. We're not going to be deceived. What if Satan is happy not to persecute us because he knows he can win us over with stuff? What if Satan doesn't need to throw us in prison because he knows he can imprison us in a cultural church, in a nominal Christianity that has learned to love pleasure rather than to love God? See, we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived. We've got to be on guard. And we've got to say that we will not be one of the numbers that says, oh yeah, I can, I can mix God in with life that's pursued for my own interests, for my own gain. Please, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Um, Always, I want to say, 
look at the gift that is before us. See, that, that's really the answer to being sucked into to a life that's lived for ourselves like that. Look at the gift, the blessing. Blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your ears to get to encounter the kingdom. Don't let anything deceive. Don't let anything grow up and choke out that life that has been planted in you. Don't allow your life to be directed the way your worldly friends' lives are directed. And we don't say that to be mean towards them. They are people who need salvation. But don't allow them to be the standard instead of Christ and his people throughout history. Look up to the one who gave everything, even his own life, and said, come follow me. And do not be deceived by cares of this life and riches. It's a real danger in the American church that we, uh, where we've been blessed with so much prosperity. And again, you know, there's all kind of qualifications we could put on this. We've talked about these things before. It's not wrong to, to enjoy blessings. And there are cultural standards that, you know, poverty's uh, a, a economic but also a social condition. A lot of nuances that we're not getting into now. Maybe we should talk about that at at length in some other setting, but the basic teaching of Jesus applies whether or not we nuance it in detail, and that's what we want to hear today, is riches will deceive us and choke out the fruit of the kingdom. Running around everywhere, trying to make our lives something that looks more like what the devil's wanting people's lives to look like, and coming to church and having a few fellowships, that's not the kingdom life. It's a radically different kind of life that bears fruit. And this is the final, final soil here, the good soil. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And this person bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. That's a big harvest, right? The average, depending on how you evaluate, the, uh, there are variations here in, in discussion about it, but depending on how you evaluate it, it may be that the, a good harvest for a, a Jewish uh, farmer back then would have been tenfold. And Jesus is saying, God will take you and make you abundantly prosperous. He will bring fruit from you. Do you know that that's the purpose of plants? When you, when you are planted by God, when you receive the seed yourselves to grow, the purpose is to bear fruit, not just to make it in the great by and by. Jesus may want to use you in powerful ways that you have not yet imagined. Can you believe that? Do you have ears to hear that? That not just does he want to save you, but he wants to use you. To bear much fruit. The question is just, are we open to that? We've strived so hard sometimes in churches to get people to make a decision for Christ. To get people to be good members or members in good standing. To get people to come to church or whatever. But have we called people to bear fruit for God? And so that this is how you know that you're a disciple I want to share with you in closing uh, the words of Gladys uh, Allward. She's a Chinese missionary, did some amazing things in China, served there for 20 years. And uh, uh, every year, Olivia at some point puts up this quote 
and along with some others on our wall. And I just love this quote. Here's what she says about going to China. I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done for China. I don't know who it was. It must have been a man, a well-educated man. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys Allward, and, and God said, well, she's willing. I love that. This woman, if you know more about her story, she was uneducated. She was rejected by missions boards, wouldn't send her. And finally, uh, God sent her anyway. And she bore great fruit. And what I want to say to you today is if you're willing, you can bear fruit for God. Because ultimately, it's the same God who's doing the work. Who did it in Gladys Allward? Who's done it in countless people throughout history? And who does it among us today? And I want you to hear the, the message of the kingdom. It may be, in some ways, sobering to think, man, what, what soil am I? But if you are one who wants to hear, you can hear. You with me? If you're one who wants to see, you can see. And when you do, what you will see is not just that you've believed some things and you've done some more right things. You will see that God wants to use you. And he wants to make you fruitful. Some may be 30-fold, some may be 60-fold, some may be 100-fold. I'm not worried that my life's not bringing fruit as much as Gladys Allward's is. That's God's choice. I just want to be sold out to him. And who knows what he'll do in the future. Who knows what he'll do with you when you give your life to him. Let's close in prayer. Lord, help us to see and to understand, please. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And let us know how blessed we are to hear the word of the kingdom. That you have already drawn us to yourself, Lord. May we put away whatever might choke out the fruit that your kingdom word will bear in us and among us. Show us, Lord, if there are things that are in the way. And then, Lord, in your great mercy, would you raise us up to be fruitful for you for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.